This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We're in a series called Horrible Advice, and, uh, and to truth is, this is a ton of fun. I, I, I've loved this series because it's kind of like opposite day at church, right? Y'all remember opposite day at school when you're like, you'd go up to a girl and be like, I hate you. Opposite day, right? And that really meant that you were telling her that you liked her. You could get away with it. It was easier, right? And you would pi- try to pull the trick on your parents. Your parents would say, all right, I want you to clean your room. And you would go, opposite day. Right, and walk away, hoping that you could get out of what they just said. It's opposite day. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk about some pretty serious stuff. I'm going to lay the groundwork. Then I'm going to give you some horrible advice, which is basically like opposite day at church. Okay. So, But before we get started, I want to describe a phenomenon that every person in here has experienced. You have voices in your head. Now, some of you, you're going, thank God, other people do too, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I'm not alone. All right, I want to describe something that's going on inside of our heads today so that you can see it. See, we all have things that are happening on the inside of our head. One of the voices that we have in our head is what the Bible calls our flesh. It's our fleshly desires. The things that our body wants to do are natural, reactive impulses. We have the voice of our soul and our spirit, which is speaking to us, which, if we've given our lives to Jesus, transitions directly drastically from what it was saying before we knew Jesus. And then we have the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if y'all realize that, but that's a pretty schizo run going on inside of your brain. Y'all realize that today? That's a lot of things going on. I wanted to bring you to two verses where you can see how the Bible describes what's actually happening. Look at this, James 1, verses 13 through 14. It says, remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation, look, comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So there is something inside of us that is compelling us and pushing us in the wrong direction. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 begins to actually talk about this a little bit. Look at what he says. Since you have heard about Jesus and you have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your sinful nature. Throw off your sinful nature and the former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, the thing is, I think there's something happening inside of our heads that many of us don't understand. And so this past week, I went to the hospital, and we have some friends there, and I asked if I could have some MRIs done of my brain so that I could show you what's happening on the inside of our brain. Now, many of you are not uh, brain scientists and, and probably will not understand what I'm about to show you, but I had them, and I put myself through several rigorous kind of decision-making activities so that you could see what's happening inside of my brain and perhaps yours. Look at this first picture. This is what's happening typically in my brain. (laughs) Nothing. How horrible is that? That's you too, maybe. All right. Actually, let's go to the second picture. All right. So uh, there, there is inside of our brain 
God has given us the capacity to navigate life. We would call it a will. All right? This is where, when, when the Apostle Paul says, he says, no, no, throw off the old nature. Make the decision. Throw it off and put on the new nature. Throw off the old man. You can do this. You can make the decision. But there's a problem with that. And in my MRI, this showed up. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. I like to call him the flesh monkey. The flesh monkey, see, the flesh monkey has no concept of consequences or the future. Have you ever had a monkey as a pet? No, you haven't. Have you ever wanted to have a monkey as a pet? If you have, please, from this point on, just make the decision never, all right? Monkeys are horrible pets. They, they, do some, they throw poop at each other. That's what they do. You know why they throw poop? Because they look down and they think, it looks like Play-Doh. Sounds like fun. They don't think infectious disease. They don't think smelly. They don't, they just, there's no consequence to them. It's live in the moment, be gratified. And you all, we all have a flesh monkey that's living in our brain. Which is why you see that new dress and you're like, I can't afford it, but I'm going to save so much money, right? I'm just going to do it. And you're a guy and you're out and you're like, these guns are 30% off. I know I got five of them, but I got to get two more, right? The flesh monkey. And we love to think about when we come to know Jesus that this is what it looks like in our brain. Right? VBS Jesus. <laughs> Alive in our brain. This is what you should do. Right? This direction, right here. We would love to think about it as being this way. It really seems like as we read into the scripture that now, that, that a lot of times those of us who are young in our faith, we think that this is what our brain should look like. But this is not what it looks like. It really looks more like this. Now, now there is a this is where the Apostle Paul describes wrestling with the flesh. See, there is something inside of you that the Bible calls the flesh or the old man that gives you horrible advice. Horrible advice. And see, I think in the context of a church service and a talk like this, that when you hear the horrible advice, something clicks inside of us and we go, oh, I'm actually doing that. See, today I'm going to tackle an issue and it's a big one, and it's an issue that when I say it, many of you are going to want to check out, but I don't want you to because I have a feeling that it's every person in this room. Today, I'm going to talk about addiction. See, nobody ever decides going to bed one night, you know, tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and be an addict. I just want to. That sounds like a lot of fun. No, what happens is that flesh monkey gets involved, and all of a sudden, something begins to shift. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12. I have the right, the Apostle Paul says, to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. Now, he's dealing with young Christians who have encountered the grace of Jesus and now know that there's nothing that we could ever do as believers that would eclipse the grace and mercy of God. 
And they're saying, I have the right to do everything. Look at what, and he says, you, have, you say, I have the right to do everything. You say that, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything you say, but here, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, addiction, addiction is being mastered. Addiction is being mastered by something. That word that's the Greek word, put that up on the, I'm not going to embarrass myself or you or make it a really awkward moment by trying to say the word that's the Greek word that's translated into mastered. But it means to be controlled or enslaved, to be brought under the authority and power of something. To be brought under the authority or the power of something. And see, so many of us in this room right now, though you may not identify it in this moment, we are living mastered by something. We are living mastered by something. So over the next few minutes, I want you to start thinking about what has mastered me? What has mastered me? In the book of Isaiah, the, in chapter 44, uh, theologians believe that this one small passage describes uh, addiction. And I love this passage of scripture that we're going to look at because it talks about addiction in a way that doesn't paint it in, in, in the light that we often think of it. We often think of addiction in, in the terms of, of, of substance abuse and, and, and those people who have been addicted to sex and those people who have wrecked their lives. But, but see, oftentimes we can be mastered by something that is good. It in its nature is not a bad thing, it's not evil, but we become mastered by it. Look at this, Isaiah 44, verses 14 and 15, describing a man uh, out in the forest with some trees. Sounds mundane enough, right? He cuts down cedars and perhaps took a cyrus or cypress or oak. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and he warms himself. And he kindles fires and bakes bread. Look, all of that is good. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol out of the wood and bows down to it. And look at this. He prays to this idol that he just made. Save me, you are my God. What started out as a good thing, a piece of wood that he cut to warm himself and to stoke the fire that he burned, that he used to, to cook with, later became a bad thing as he built an idol out of it and then would eventually bow down and worship it. You see, obviously, there are questions about well, what are we addicted to? And there are some people that are addicted to dipping and smoking. And there might be some of y'all who say, hey, Kevin, do you believe smoking is going to send you to hell? And I, and, and I would say, you know, I'm not sure if it'll send you to hell. It might send you to hell faster. All right. And it might just make you smell like you've been to hell. All right. <laughs> some of us are, are mastered by alcohol. It started out where we just wanted to drink to, to chill when we got home, just a glass of wine, just a beer. And now I can't chill unless. Some of us are addicted to painkillers. I honestly can't count the times that I've had conversations with people in our community 
where someone had a surgery and there was a legit need for that. And then after that, they became addicted to it. They just couldn't kick it. It was just there. And they went to uh, non-legal means to obtain the, the pills that they were addicted to. And eventually, in many terms, it began to wreck their relationships and their marriages and their families. Some of you may be addicted to gambling. Right? What started out as, uh, let me just put a, a good 20 down or, or a 50 down, ended up with a bunch of guys in suits standing at your door, right? Godfather style, right? And obviously there are friends that we've had that we've seen drugs and heroin, especially in our area, wreck lives. And see, when we think about addiction, we often think about stuff like that. We think about the guy who's so addicted to women that he's wrecked every relationship that he ever had. I saw a guy, a friend of mine, he's a single man. He's uh, got, got a son. He wrote this love letter and he put it on Facebook. I'm going to read it to you, okay? It's so cute. Y'all just listen. I'm intoxicated by your strength and your fragrance. I love waking up and bringing you to my lips and tasting your heat but sometimes you're cold as ice. And even then, I love you. You make my heart race. You have burned me more times than I can count, but I always come back to you. You are as bold as magic. You lift me up when I'm down, and I think of you often on long rides and cold runs. You're exotic and wild. And many others love you as well. And even though it's cold and quiet this morning, I want you to know that I love you most of all. A letter to my morning coffee. <laughs> See, how many of y'all would say, don't talk to me until I get my morning coffee? Is there anybody in here? Mastered by caffeine. Is there anybody in here that you correct the post that you're about to put on Facebook 10 times because you're worried about offending somebody. Because your life you have always wanted the approval of people, the approval of people, the approval of people, and you live in fear of making somebody mad. Some of us are addicted to our appearance and I believe that the body wants us, uh, that, that God wants us to take care of our bodies, but there are some of us that we have been mastered by having the right appearance, having people think the right things about you, so much so that some of y'all have gotten into a place where you go tan all the time and you're starting to look like a suitcase. And your friends, they love you and they tell you that you look like a suitcase. But you don't want none of that because you're mastered by your appearance. See, the thing is, when we're mastered by something, when we're mastered by something, we're trying to get from it what only God can give us. That's what an addiction is. And I have this feeling, this distinct feeling today, that if we really are honest about that question, what has mastered me? That every, one of, every single one of us has something to write down. Every one of us has something to add to the list. And so what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is to give you some horrible advice 
on how to become an addict. Now, remember, this is a little bit like opposite day. I know it's bad advice up front, okay? But I think that as we hear this and we see the stark reality that are present in these steps, you're going to see, oh my, I'm doing that. So let's get into it. How to become an addict. Step one, don't ever admit you have a problem. Don't ever admit you have a problem. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what the Bible would tell you to do. So if you want to be an addict, never admit that you have a problem. Jeremiah 3 verse 13 says, only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against your Lord, the Lord your God and committed adultery against it. Acknowledge your guilt. That's what the Bible would advise you to do. So if that's what the Bible is saying, if you want some horrible advice on how to become an addict, step one is never admit that you have a problem. As a matter of fact, in the quiet, tell yourself, I can quit at any time. I got this. All right. Everyone that tells you that you have a problem, they're all wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, as a matter of fact, just continue to make excuses. Make excuses as to why you're doing what you're doing. You can quit at any time, right? Make an excuse for what you're doing because you don't have a problem. As a matter of fact, you're a victim. You're a victim. You're powerless to change. You're, you're a product of your circumstances. If it wasn't for how things had worked out in your life and your family history, you, you're just naturally going to be what you are. I mean, be honest. You've tried to quit, and you can't change. You tried to quit before. It didn't work. And you're not hurting anyone, right? You're not hurting anyone. Never admit that you have a problem. If you want to become an addict, step two, gratify your fleshly desires. As a matter of fact, every time that flesh monkey speaks, you go, okay. Flesh monkey, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. The Bible says in Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and what the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So, the Bible is telling us that if we want to avoid addiction, then we need to submit to the spirit, not to the flesh. So if you want to become an addict, the next step is to gratify your fleshly desires. If you see something you want, buy it, eat it, chase it, smoke it if it's drugs, smoke it if it's a crayon, whatever you want, all right? Just go do it, all right? I mean, if you want it, go do it. And here's another one. Make sure you have access to whatever you struggle with. I mean, if you struggle with porn, make sure that you have unrestricted access on every computer that you own, on your phone. All right? If you struggle with poor spending habits, make sure that nobody else can see your credit card or your bank account, that nobody has the authority to tell you no. And if you're maybe like me and you struggle with eating too many donuts at night, 
Make sure you always have donuts around, all right? Because you want to gratify your fleshly desires. The third step, if you want to become an addict, is keep your addiction a secret. Keep your addiction a secret. Proverbs 28, 13 is a great verse that talks about the secrecy of an addiction. Look at what it says. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so if you want to take the next step in addiction, the horrible advice is to keep your addiction a secret. I mean, the truth is, is that sin grows best in the dark. So keep it there. All right, that's where sin grows. You don't, and, and you want to keep it in the dark. Here's why. Because you, you don't want people that are praying for you. If you want to be an addict, you want to keep growing in your addiction, you don't want people who are praying for you. You don't want people that know about it and are invited into that journey and are praying for you. You don't want pre people who are holding you accountable. As a matter of fact, you don't really even need support. I'd probably go so far as to say you really don't even want to get well. See, the fourth step in becoming an addict is that you must depend on your own power and not God's. Depend on your own strength all the time. Never depend on God's. Now I'm going to stop with the horrible advice there. Because I think that as we look at that for every person in the room today, there's a point of connection. I want you to see this verse out of 1 Corinthians 10 verses 3. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as this world does. We do not wage war as this world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You see, when you take those steps into addiction, you lose at every stage. You lose at every single stage. I want you to see how you lose. Look, the first one, I don't admit that you have a problem. Don't admit that you have a problem. And so many of us are there. We don't want to admit that we have a problem with shopping or with discipline. But look at what happens when we're not willing to admit. We miss the part of the gospel that says that if we will confess our sins one to another, we can be healed. Confession cuts off the problem at the head. And we know that if we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to heal us from all impurities. But the truth is, is that we have to confess our sins to each other. James 4 says that if we'll do that, we'll be healed. But so many of us are running that game with God where we're saying, I know I've got a problem, but here, here's the deal, God. I, I know you'll forgive me. 
I know. You're a good God. And God's saying, I don't want you to be mastered by anything but me. Look what happens in that second step. Give in to your desires. All right, this is a tough one for you to understand if you've never lived through this, okay? But I'm going to point you to something that is a glory that awaits you as you begin to step into the discipline that connects to killing the flesh. All right, that we are naturally predisposed to give into our desires, to, to say, hey, this is all my money. I'm going to use it to do whatever I want to. This is all my life. I'm going to engage and indulge as much as I want to. The flesh requires discipline. But see, here's the truth about the flesh, is that when we're willing to put to death every desire, we are crucified. Galatians says that we're crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. See, the thing is, is that we can never fully experience the life of Christ in us until we put to death the flesh. And as long as you keep saying, it's okay, let's look a little bit more. You keep denying yourself the privilege of living with the full reality of God present in your life. What about keeping in a secret? I'm going to keep, I'm just going to keep, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to conceal it. What happens when that happens? That verse that I read out of Proverbs says that when we conceal our sin, we don't prosper. When we conceal our sin, when there's sin, and so many of y'all are going, man, I just don't, I don't get it. I feel like I'm doing everything right. I'm just, you know, I'm going to church now. I mean, I got my kids in church, kids making A's, you know. I mean, we're we trying now. And you're like, dude, I mean, first of all, are you being... Are you being fa have you stepped away from some of that stuff that you are addicted to? Have you, stepped, have you stepped away from the addiction or the approval of men? Have you stepped away from feeling like you have to be perfect every morning and accepting the per perfection of God? You're never going to prosper when something has mastered you. Never. And lastly, depend on your own strength. This is, this is so important. See, when we depend on our own strength and never God's, we never get to, in our weakness, experience the love and mercy of God. And so many of you have this persona of strength. You want the people that love you and the people that know you as friends to think that you've got it all together, You've got it figured out. And even you run games with yourself where you don't want to self-identify with the problems that you're facing. If you're not willing to be weak, you will never experience the power of God in your life. I'm going to say that again. If you're not willing to be weak, you will never experience the power of God in your life. Because it is in our weakness 
that he is strong. It is in our weakness, our confessed known weakness. As long as you keep trying, he's going to let you do it. It's like watching our kids try to do something. You're like, no, you need my help. No, I don't need your help. No, you need my help. No, I don't need your help. No, you do need my help, but I'm going to let you keep trying until you realize you need my help. And the truth is, is that I'm probably going to ugly cry from this point on, so just prep for it, okay? This is personal to me. See, because ever since I was a teenager and accepted Jesus, wrestling with addiction has been something that's been a consistent part of my journey. And we say that, and a lot of times y'all are thinking, well, what, are you a drug addict? No, I, was, I wasn't a drug addict. I've, I've literally never used drugs. All right? But the approval of men, finding myself and my satisfaction in other, all of that stuff. See, a year ago, we preached a series called Friends with Benefits. Y'all didn't know this, but it was a spiritual journey for me. came out of Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits, who satisfies, look, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. See, the problem that I've always faced is that I've tried to find satisfaction in a place that is not Jesus. And during different seasons of my life, it's reared up in different ways. And when I was a younger guy, it was with, you know, trying to get attention from chicks. And now that I'm old, it seems to be cookies. And so, uh, <laughs> right, it's just changed. So my, my struggle is trying to find satisfaction in something that's not Jesus when only Christ can satisfy me. See, C.S. Lewis spoke to that. He said that we all have a, a God-sized hole in our hearts. And only Christ can fill that. So um, this year, just I'll let y'all in. I'm, never, I'm not going to say anything more about this because but this is so some of y'all can check on me every once in a while because y'all my friends, right? So this year I committed to, the, I turned 39 a few, few weeks ago. And um, earlier in the year I decided to get a little healthy. And so up to this point, I weighed this morning so I could tell you exactly. I've lost 17 pounds this year, which is a lot um, for me, especially when you're fat. 17 pounds always feels good. Um, but I, I made this decision that by the time I turned 40 on September 11th, yes, my birthday is September 11th next year, that I would be in the best shape of my life. And I'm working on it. But it's a little difficult because it doesn't happen all at once. It's one of those things you actually have to struggle through and you have to fight for. So I'm reminded of this moment where David showed up to the front lines of war. He's bringing his brothers some cheese, <laughs> some breakfast. And there's this almost eight foot tall guy. And in those days, the way that they would fight, instead of killing everybody, they'd just take the best warrior and put them up against the best warrior. And whoever won, then that's who won. And this guy would come out every day. His name was Goliath. And he would yell obscenities at the armies of God. And David, David must have looked at him and thought, 
That's a big dude. I don't, I don't know what we can do about this. But see, there was something different about David. David looked at him and saw his immensity, but then looked at his God and saw a greater immensity. He looked at the, the giant and saw a problem, but in his God, he saw a much bigger capacity of strength. And so David decided that if nobody else would stand up against this man, he would. He denied armor, he denied a weapon, and he went into a creek bed and picked out five stones. When I was in college, I went to the Akoi River and picked out five stones. And I brought them back and I set them in my window still. They, they still sit there in my office. Because at some point, you have to be willing to look at the giant that you face and say, my God is bigger than you. And there are things in my God that I could never find in you. I am not big enough to beat you, but my faith in him is. So I think today there are some of us that it's time to kill the giant. And it's going to start today with some of you having just an honest conversation, maybe with your spouse, where you tell them something that you've been struggling with for a long time that they may not even know about, something that's mastered you, that's taken hold of you. And today, as we confess, I believe that God is going to bring a wave of freedom into your lives that you've never experienced before. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.